Right. Good morning, everybody. Uh, let me welcome you to St. James's Barkham. A very warm welcome to you. Great to see you. Thank you for joining us. Can I say especially particular welcome to you if you're visiting us today. Uh, we're so glad that you can be with us. I think everything that you need is on this service sheet. There are Bibles in the pews as well. And uh, I hope you might be able to stick around at the end. We serve refreshments up at this end of the church at the end. And uh, it would be great to meet you then. We're carrying on a series today in uh, 2 Corinthians, a letter we've been working our way through, and David's going to be preaching on the next uh, part of that later on in our service. We've got groups for children today, Sunday Club and Creche as well. They're going to be meeting over in the Village Hall a little way into our service. Well, as we uh, gather together, uh, we're here to worship God. Uh, The Bible calls all of us to worship the God who made us, who is so good to us and has shown his grace to us in uh, Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible calls the whole world to praise God. Let me read some verses from Psalm 148. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding, mountains and hills, fruit trees and cedars, wild animals and cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and women, old men and children. We're all called to praise the Lord. And we're going to do that in the words of our first song as we begin this morning. Let's stand and let's praise God.
the Bible asks uh, a very important question. How can we, as sinners, come to a pure and perfect and holy God? How can we approach him? And the answer we just sung in that song, did you notice in the third verse, how can we as sinners approach a holy God? Christ has defeated every sin. Christ has defeated every sin. If we put our trust in him, he takes our sin away. It's dealt with. It's paid for so that we can come to God. Christ has defeated every sin. Therefore, we're told, cast all your burdens now on him. And that's what we're going to do as we say this prayer of confession. Uh, Let's not hide our sin. Let's not excuse our sin. But let's bring it to Jesus. We're going to do that now. Let's have a quiet moment and then we'll say this prayer together. Let's confess our sins. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you in thought and word and deed, through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We are truly sorry and repent of all our sins. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, forgive us all that is past and grant that we may serve you in newness of life, to the glory of your name. Amen. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So, Father, we thank you that you sent your Son into the world. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for us, and thank you for taking away our sin. Amen. Right, I'm going to come down. We're going to think about uh, something that our children are going to be doing in Sunday Club uh, today. Now here I've got something that will be familiar to, uh, to you if, you if you know us. So uh, this is our birthday box. And if you know us, this is our birthday box. So this always contains like little gifts which we give to uh, our younger children when they have a birthday. Um, now, uh, put your hand up if you like receiving gifts. Yeah, I think we all like receiving. If you haven't got your hand up, then, uh, well, we all like receiving gifts. <laughs> and uh, it's great receiving gifts, isn't it? And it's even more special if somebody makes a gift just for you. Uh, so I've got something in, uh, in this uh, uh, gift box today, which I'm going to show you, and it's uh, it's this. So you can see this is a a mug, a handmade mug. One of my family made this for me. So it's a lovely mug, and it's got on it so things that I that I love are on this mug. So there is a, there's a cup of coffee, very very personal to me. There's a, a tent for camping. There's a Bible here. Uh, there's a giraffe because I really like giraffes. And, uh, and there's, a, there's a football uh, as well. So uh, it's very special, isn't it? It's, it? it's not perfect, okay? So you could, you could go to a shop and probably buy a fancier, sort of more professional mug. But, uh, but it was made especially for me. No one else has got a mug like this. That is why 
it's so special. Now, did you know that you have all been given a very special, wonderful gift that was carefully made and designed by someone who loves you and knows you better than anyone else? Uh, it's not perfect, but it's very precious. And, um, well, actually, you can see what it is inside this box. I actually need one of the children to come and have a look in this box, and they can see what this gift is. Would one of the children like to do Yeah, well, Flora, would you like to come and see? Flora, come, come on up here. And let's see. Let's have a look inside the box. Now, what can you see? What can you see? Who's that? It's, it's you. It's you inside the box. We've got a mirror inside the box. And inside, so Flora can see herself, and you can see your lovely blonde hair, and you can see your, your brown eyes, and you can see everything about you. And that is a special gift that God has given you. He's, he's made you just like you. He's given you your body. Okay, you can go back to Daddy now. Wonderful. So we've all been given a very special uh, gift by, by God, and that is he's given us our bodies. I'm going to take this mirror out. So your body is God's wonderful handmade gift to you. When you look in the mirror, you can see your body that, that God has given you. You use it every day as your heart beats and as your lungs breathe. And you enjoy it every day as you laugh and you smile and you move around. Uh, if, you're, if, you're, if you're a girl, then God has given you a girl's body. If you're a boy, God has given you a boy's body. Now, in Psalm 139, King David sings to God about his body. And he says, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Isn't that amazing? So your body, every nerve, every muscle, every organ inside was handmade by God. And Psalm 139 also says, um, King David says, I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Did you hear that? So your body is wonderful. Your eye is better than any camera that you can buy. Your hand moves like no other machine. You can do amazing things with your body. Think of all the different things people can do. They can sing and make music and play sport and design things and build things and write things and do all kinds with their bodies. So we're wonderful, but also we're fearfully made. What does that mean? That means our bodies should be treated with respect. You should look after your body. It's very precious, and so is everybody else's, even if it doesn't work as well or look as good as others. So we need to be careful about how we speak about our bodies and about other people's as well. Make sure our words are kind and respectful. Now, nobody's body is perfect, and that's okay. God made us exactly how he wanted. Uh, sometimes our, our bodies hurt, don't they? I bumped my knee playing a game with some friends last night. So sometimes our, our bodies hurt. Sometimes they don't work very well. But we can still thank God for the things they can do. 
So when you uh, look in the mirror, you know, sometimes you look in the mirror and you think, oh, I don't like what I see. Remember, your body is God's good gift to you. You can say, my body is a gift from God. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, our children in Sunday Club are doing this series on identity. And today they're touching on some issues that our culture finds quite hard. So um, parents, um, there is a a take-home sheet that uh, you'll be given. It looks like this. And that will show you some of the things the children are being taught today. And as their parents, you'll know the things that you can talk to about them as well. Well, we're going to uh, sing again our next song. It's a song that calls us. It says to us that actually no matter what is happening in our lives, we can be strong and courageous. Why? Because we are all in God's good hands. So when the music begins, let's stand and we'll sing. In the um, verse, it splits. So what we're going to do is... Uh, The women are going to sing with me, and we're going to sing the first part, and the men are going to sing with Michael, and they're going to sing the echo. So the women will sing the first part, and the men will sing the echo.
Take a seat. Uh, children will be heading off in a moment, but I want to just highlight a couple of things from the notice sheet, if you can dig that out. There's lots on there, so do take time to uh, look through all that is uh, coming up. Um, Angela has got a, a notice. I'm going to invite her, while she's coming on up, let me point out notice number one. We have a quiz night uh, coming up to the second one that we've run. It's on Saturday the 23rd at the Village Hall. Uh, a social evening, an evening to invite friends along to enjoy an evening with us. We will just advertise uh, some of the uh, Easter events and uh, some resources as well. But do invite people along. There are flyers like this, and you can uh, book in via the website. Uh, Angela. Hi, just a couple of events coming up for women, the first of which is on Thursday, the 7th of March. This is another women's supper. We've had a couple... Um, and it will run exactly on those lines. It will be at Arborfield Village Hall, and you can book in from tomorrow. So it will have uh, supper together. I think it will probably be Thai green curry again. Um, and then we will uh, spend some time looking at God's word. Um, and the theme this time is encouragement, words of encouragement. So we'll be looking at that together. You can book in from tomorrow. I think we would, it would be brilliant if you could book in the Tuesday before the Thursday, because I will sort food and collect it on the Wednesday. So that's the, the deadline. Um, then looking further ahead, we've got, um, there's an event on in May. This is the South Central Women's Day. Um, a number have been before. There will be flyers with all the details at the back of church. So do grab one of those. Um, it will book in as individuals. But then generally we kind of work out who else is going and share lists and things on the day. So that will be at the back of church for details. Thank you. And then I just want to flag out notice number six. Um, in case there's anyone for whom that would be a helpful evening. I've just put on an evening for anyone who would like to come and just think through some, some of the central questions of what it means to be uh, a Christian. I'm talking to someone recently and uh, just a helpful conversation about you know, what does it really mean? to be a Christian, what is Jesus really calling us to do? What does it mean to respond to him? And if, if, if you would find it helpful to think through questions like that, then uh, do just let me know. Uh, prayer diaries for March are available. There's some hard copies at the back uh, as well. Should we pray for our children as they head off to their groups? Our Father, we thank you uh, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by you. And that is true for all our children. We pray that they would know that today. Please, would you be their teacher and would you strengthen those who are leading them? And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we'll pause for a moment. Children are going to head to their groups. Uh, if you're staying here, just a moment to say hello to someone sitting nearby. And then we'll resume in a moment.
Right, well, uh, some of the parents will be rejoining us. Well, hopefully all of the parents will be rejoining us in uh, just a moment. Before that, we're going to say a psalm together. So could you grab one of the Bibles and turn to page 579, where you will find Psalm 62. Psalm 62. Where do God's people turn in their weakness? Well, they turn to the Lord who is strong, who is their strength and their refuge. And, uh, and this psalm uh, shows God's people doing uh, exactly that, one of God's people running to God, his refuge, and encouraging all of us to do the same. It's a good psalm for us to, to know. We're going to stand and we'll say this together. So two please stand. And uh, let's say Psalm 62 together. Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I shall never be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I shall not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Surely the lowborn are but a breath, the highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love, and you reward everyone according to what they have done. Would you please uh, take a seat? I'm going to turn to pray now. Uh, it's not in. In fact, Michael is going to lead us uh, in our prayers. Let's pray. Power belongs to you, O God, and with you, O Lord, is unfailing love. Father, we come to you now in prayer, drawn by your unfailing love, undeserving as we are to receive anything good from your hand. We've heard your gracious invitation to find mercy and forgiveness at the cross and there to lay down the burden of all our sin and failings and so cleansed and renewed through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, made fit to be welcomed into your family as your precious children. Father, we come to you in prayer because power belongs to you. In your hands is the power to change us and others we care about and to change situations we are concerned about. 
May the Spirit stir us to pray fervently and persistently for that which will fulfill your good purposes. Lord, we feel so powerless to do anything to bring about change in many situations, but particularly so at the moment in Gaza and Ukraine, as we see what seems like mindless devastation and destruction, continuing to ruin the lives of so many vulnerable people who have no means of defending themselves. But we thank you that we can pray to you and we do pray that you will bring an end to this foolishness and restore order and enable communities to function again and live in harmony with their neighbours. Please bring much-needed aid to those who have lost so much. Many of us have been shocked by scenes in the House of Commons this week as political parties have goaded each other over the kind of ceasefire to be sought in Gaza. Please have mercy on our country and raise up leaders who will serve our nation with wisdom and humility, who will have proper respect for people of all nations and who will recognise that ultimately they are under your authority. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We thank you so much for our mission partnership with the Berts in Hedeveldt. We praise you for Alan and Debbie's 18 years of faithful, sacrificial ministry to that community. We praise you that despite the deprivation and many social problems, they are able to speak of the tremendous bounty that this community has shared with them. Debbie describes this bounty as rooted in deep relationships and the gospel, a bounty that has embraced us as foreigners, a bounty of people that have generously shared life with us, trusting us to share in their deep pain and rejoice in their wonderful joys. Lord, we praise you that the gospel has borne such fruit and continues to do so. We thank you for raising up Dylan and Catleho from the community to work under Alan at St Thomas's and train in ministry. As Dylan and his new wife, Candice, have recently moved on to Johannesburg, we give you thanks for all their service to the youth and young adults at St Thomas's. And as they are much missed, we pray that you will raise up new leaders to fill the void. Thank you that Catleho is now able to share the preaching with Alan, and we pray that the Spirit will give him insight and understanding of your word in his preparation and wisdom and winsomeness in engaging with the congregation as he preaches. As Catleho continues to run the children's work, help him to manage his time well and to lead and train the team of volunteers that work with him with wisdom and grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, we pray again for the Church of England as it continues to drift away from its biblical foundations. We pray for your power and the power of the Holy Spirit to convict those in leadership who are drifting away or even driving away, that you will halt them in their tracks as you did with Saul on the road to Damascus and bring them back to rejoice in the truth and wisdom of your word and to proclaiming the words of eternal life to our nation. 
We pray for General Synod in its current meeting, for Orthodox bishops and clergy and lay people to uphold your word fearlessly, particularly in debates over the so-called prayers of love and faith, and use them in calling the wider church back to faithful obedience. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Father God, we thank you for progress made in our rector succession process. We pray for a good meeting of our PCCs with Stephen Pullin, our Archdeacon, and patron representative Martin Davy to help us firm up our interview process. We pray for the interview panel and Andy to prepare well for the interview. And we pray that above all, the Holy Spirit will lead us to the person of your choosing to be appointed as our new rector. Again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And finally, Lord, we continue to remember before you Mark Gittins and Val Booker and others we know that your power will hold them fast as they struggle with ill health and other issues. We pray that your presence will be the comfort they need at this time. We bring all our prayers to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going to turn to God's Word in just a moment. Martin's going to read for us, and then David will preach. But first, we're going to sing. So the themes today is our sort of struggles and our weakness. And this song speaks of the great hope that the believer always has in Christ. So let's stand with the music. We'll sing.
take a seat and take your take up your Bible. The reading is taken from 2 Corinthians, chapter 11, starting at verse 16, to chapter 12, verse 13. This can be found in the Pew Bibles on page 1,166. I repeat, let no one take me for a fool. But if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools, since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit we were too weak for that. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak, and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aratas had the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. I must go on boasting, 
Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think of me more, think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you, for I am not in the least inferior to the super apostles, even though I am nothing. I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. How were you an inferior to the other churches except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. Great, please keep that open. Let's bow our heads and pray for the help that we need as we come to look at that together. Heavenly Father, some of us are still feeling a bit tired. Some of us are distracted, minds elsewhere. Some of us feeling rather cold. Some of us just not that interested in what you have to say. Please, by your spirit, work in us that we may hear your word now for the glory of the Lord Jesus. And we ask in his name. Amen. Well, we know some of the danger signs that should warn us off certain church leaders now. We saw a couple of them last week, if you were here, when we looked at the first bit of 2 Corinthians 11. Watch out for Christian leaders who maybe use the language of faith, so they talk about Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the gospel, that kind of thing, but are actually saying something very different about them to what God is saying to us here in the Bible And watch out for Christian leaders who, while maybe outwardly impressive, are really just very self-serving rather than serving 
other people. If we find ourselves in a church or maybe part of another Christian organization as well, where those sorts of things are going on, it's time to speak up or maybe get out, actually. Because behind leaders like that stands Satan himself. That sounds shocking, doesn't it? But it's what we saw Paul saying last week. Satan, who loves to work by presenting evil as something that's good and attractive instead. So if those are the kinds of things that should put us off certain Christian leaders if we see them, what kinds of things shouldn't put us off? What sort of things shouldn't we worry about when we see them in someone's lives, life? Actually, the opposite. Make us lean in with a kind of expectation and gratitude. If you go wandering around the countryside looking for mushrooms, if you're the kind of person who does that, there are basically two kinds of signs you need to know about, aren't there? There's the signs of the ones to avoid, this is poisonous, and there's the signs that say, this is a good one, this is edible, this, won't, this, this, this will do you good if you eat it. Well, it's that second, more positive set of signs Paul gets us thinking about today. What kinds of things might be signs that a Christian leader's ministry is actually okay? What sort of things might actually be a sign that someone really is walking in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus with God's power at work in and through their lives? It's a really important question, isn't it? Here we are as churches looking for a new rector to replace peers. Michael helpfully led us as we prayed about that just earlier. We're going to begin by looking at Andy Kearns across at Arborfield. Hopefully that's not a surprise. We've tried to be very open about that in emails and stuff. But one day maybe it'll be you or me moving away, looking for a new church to be a part of. What sort of things shouldn't put us off if we see signs of them in someone's life? Or it's a more personal question perhaps sometimes, isn't it? Maybe you've got a friend or a family member who isn't a Christian and you'd love to introduce them to some of your Christian friends or get them along to an event to hear a talk. What kind of Christian friend are you keenest to introduce them to? What kind of speaker do you most want them to hear? What kinds of things shouldn't put us off introducing them to someone or inviting them to hear someone speak? That's the sort of thing we find ourselves getting into in our passage today. And there's two things Paul is saying here that should not put us off. Two things that might actually be a mark that the Lord really is at work in and through someone's life. Two things that might come as a bit of a surprise. Suffering. And weakness. Suffering and weakness. Really, we think? Because we get that thing with politicians sometimes, don't we? When suddenly they think there might be the possibility of high office. And so they start doing things to try to make themselves look more impressive in the eyes of the world. Suddenly they, they, they lose weight, perhaps, or have a new hairstyle, or get pictures of them out jogging or at the gym. The sort of things that present them as looking you know, really healthy and vibrant and strong. The kind of people trouble just sort of bounces off like, like water off a good raincoat. Because they think, don't they? And in many ways, they're right. That is how to get credibility in the eyes of the world. Well, maybe in the world, we think, but surely not the church. We're not that shallow, are we? I don't know about you, but if I'm honest, the kinds of people I'm naturally drawn to and most want to be like, actually they are the kind of people who don't seem to suffer and look very strong. Very often the kinds of Christians I'm most glad to introduce others to are the kind of Christians who look like everything's going pretty well for them. 
It's really not how it should be, though, Paul is saying. Signs of suffering, signs of weakness in someone's life. They shouldn't be off-putting at all because they may just be signs that the Lord is at work in and through that person's life in a very remarkable way indeed. They are extraordinary verses we're in at the moment, aren't they? You probably got a sense of that as we read them just now. Paul, you can't say that, we want to say to him at certain points, don't we? And it's actually therefore reassuring he begins in the way he does, doesn't he? Verse 16 of chapter 11, I repeat, he's picking up where he began back in chapter, um, verse 1 of the chapter. I repeat, let no one take me for a fool, but if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. So if at any point in today's passage we find ourselves thinking what Paul is saying sounds crazy, or worldly, or like he's out of his mind. I know, I realise that, I think he'd say to us. But let's go with him on this, because it really is his last gasp attempt to show these Corinthians who he loves so much some very important things that they're missing. Verse 18, since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. So those false teachers that we've seen were so active in Corinth as Paul writes, in such danger of leading the church there astray, away from Jesus. They're doing loads of boasting about how great they are. It's what you did in those days. If you wanted an audience, well, fine, Paul says, if I have to, I can play that game too. Let me show you the things that mark my ministry that should make you take me seriously too. And broadly speaking, it is these two really surprising things, suffering and weakness. Just glance on to chapter 12, verse 10, very near the end of our reading this morning. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Does that feel like something you could say and mean? I delight in those things. I'm not sure I often can, if I'm honest. But that's where we're headed today. That's like the, the destination that's been entered into the sat-nav. That's where these verses are taking us. Let's see how they do. So first big thing that marks out Paul's ministry that he says shouldn't put us off is suffering. End of verse 21. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about. I'm speaking as a fool and you really sense, don't you? Paul can't bear having to talk like this. I also dare to boast about, are they Hebrews? Are they Israelites? Are they Abraham's descendants? You get the sense these false teachers were making a really big deal of their Jewish heritage. Well, tick, 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 me too, Paul says. Verse 23, are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. That's a bold claim, isn't it? I'm a better servant of Christ than they are. What's your evidence, Paul? And I wonder what kinds of things we'd expect him to say next. Well, I mean, look how many churches I've planted. The books I've written. The conferences I get invited to speak on. The number of mission trips I've been on. The size of the staff team I lead. He didn't talk about any of those things. You see where he goes in the verses that follow? The sorts of things he talks about instead, I've worked harder. Middle of verse 23, very hard. Paul, we know from elsewhere, often worked during the day making tents. That was his trade to support himself as he then preached in the evenings. 
I've suffered more, verses 23 to 25, loads more, prisons so many times, floggings, beatings, having stones thrown at him until he was left for dead, multiple shipwrecks too. You see, I faced more danger as well, he says, verse 26, in just about every place and from every side. From the moment Paul first turned to Jesus, there were people who wanted to get rid of him. And I've gone without more as well, verse 27. So sleep and food and drink and shelter, sometimes even clothing too. Imagine the shame of that. Finally, verses 28 to 29, I've worried more too. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for the churches. Who's weak and I don't feel weak? Who's led into sin and I don't inwardly burn? I remember that was the thing that caught me out when I started working for the church here all those years ago. My last two years in the Ministry of Defence, I was working in an area where things did sometimes get very, very tense indeed, with some bits of the armed forces who necessarily, I think, were kind of operating right at the edge of the law. And a big thing was trying to make sure they were on the right side of that. And I remember there was just one night in those two years when I lay awake worrying because I couldn't sleep because I was bothered by something I'd heard might be going on. And then I started working for the church here, and suddenly, to my surprise, there seemed to be quite a few nights like that. Is this dear person suddenly going through some kind of suffering? How are they going to manage? How can we support them? Here's another precious person who suddenly seems to be hooked by some sin, and they can't get out, or is just drifting away from Jesus and does not want to talk about it. There's a fair bit of worrying about that in one, let's be honest, little church like Barkham. I don't know how Paul managed with so many churches under his care. But you want to know the first thing that marks out my ministry, he says, it's suffering in so many ways. And then second, verse 30 onwards, it's weakness. Verse 30, if I must boast, I'll boast of the things that show my weakness. And then the rest of chapter 11, that little bit there, Paul remembers a time, maybe you know the story from the book of Acts, when soon after he turned from opposing Jesus to following him, he had to flee Damascus because people there were after him. And he really was actually lowered down the city wall in a basket so he could escape. And we read that story and think, oh, wow, that's amazing. That's really exciting, Paul. Not a bit of it. He's totally ashamed. This was a day when apparently the Greeks would give awards to soldiers who were first up the wall in a battle. That was a kind of the mark of valour. I was the opposite, Paul is saying. I was first down, forced to flee in weakness. And then the opening verses of chapter 12 are really intriguing, aren't they? I must go on boasting. Although there's nothing to be gained, I'll go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. Because that's often something people are prone to boast about, isn't it? The sort of thing that can make us think someone must be a very special Christian indeed. Extraordinary spiritual experiences, they say they've had. Those of us who haven't had them can end up feeling very inferior indeed at that point. And you can imagine the false teachers in Corinth talking loads about the experiences they'd had. Oh, the time I heard God say this, the time he showed me that. Well, I've had one too, Paul says. Although he's so reluctant to talk about it, you notice he starts off talking about it as if it happened to someone else. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. And it's only a few verses later we realize he's definitely talking about himself. 
those of us who are tempted to think intense spiritual experiences don't really happen. But if someone says they've had one, they've either been taken in or possibly making it up. Well, we need to think again, don't we, in the light of these verses. Clearly they do happen sometimes. Those of us who think they're the kinds of things that should happen loads and define who we are, well, we need to think again as well, don't we? Because this happened 14 years ago, you notice, and Paul hasn't talked about it anywhere else. And frankly, he's pretty reluctant to talk about it now. And in any case, it's not really the point, because the thing he really wants us to focus on is what happened next. Verse 7. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, because you could see how that might happen, can't you? After an experience like that, hey, look at me. Look what God allowed me to see. In order to stop that, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Remember the last time you had a splinter? You know what it's like to get a thorn in your flesh? If you're a gardener, I'm sure you do. I'm often picking things out of my hands on a Sunday after time in the garden the day before. You know what it's like. It's so painful. We try and ignore it, pretend it's not there. Hope it'll just go away. And then we can't. We just have to deal with it because it's so sore. Well, to stop me getting proud, God allowed Satan to put something in my life that was like that, Paul is saying. Quite what the thing was, we don't know. Maybe an ongoing illness. Maybe a problem with his eyes. There's loads of clues across the New Testament. Paul had real problems with his eyesight. Maybe it's just the ongoing opposition. Everywhere he went, people followed him to try to bring him down. That's really wearing. Whatever it was, though, it was agony. Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, no, basically. And that's striking, isn't it? When you think how often people try to big themselves up by telling stories of times they prayed for something and God gave them exactly what they prayed for. Pray for healing. He gives it, that kind of thing. Well, let me tell you about a time that didn't happen, Paul says. Three times, in fact. Do you know what it is not to have prayers answered in the way you want? You're in very good company. Although God doesn't just say no, does he? Verse 9, these extraordinary words. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. They're amazing words, aren't they? I, I know this hurts, the Lord is saying. I know it makes you feel weak and look weak too. It makes you weak. But I'm not taking it away. Because in my grace and kindness... I will give you all you need to cope, I promise. You'll be okay. And actually, I'm going to do even more through this too. I'm going to use this weakness of yours to show you and others my power in ways you would otherwise never see. Suffering and weakness. Two things we don't welcome. We're not meant to go looking for. It can be very distressing and frightening to find ourselves suddenly in the middle of them. But are they signs that we should avoid someone? 
steer clear of their ministry, that God has somehow stepped back from them. If I suffer, is that a sign that he's left me? If you suffer, is that a sign that he's stepped away from you? Or as a church, if we suddenly find our weakness being exposed in new ways, is that a sign the Lord has left us alone? Not at all. After all, suffering and weakness... Who do those two words apply to better than anyone? Who knew those two things better than any of us ever will? It's the Lord Jesus, isn't it? All through his life. But even more so as he drew closer to the cross. And yet where and when in our world did God show his power most clearly of all? It was right there at the cross, wasn't it? As he rescued his people, and set them free and gave life to the world. So is it really any surprise to find the Lord taking the same pattern of working and pressing it home into the lives of those who serve him today? Into each of our lives as we seek to follow him. It's no surprise at all. Power made known in suffering, made perfect in weakness, and not just because... It's that backdrop of weakness that makes God's power stand out even more like a dark background behind a really brilliant jewel. More than that, this is saying, in this world, so often God's way of doing his most glorious, powerful works of all is to work in and through the weakest, most painful things of all. It's not just the setting in which he shows his power, it's the means by which he shows his power. And works in power. We, we naturally think, don't we, that God is working powerfully in moments when someone is healed or recovers from an illness. And of course he is, and we should praise him for that. But this is saying he might well be working even more powerfully in those moments someone gets sick and when the illness won't go away. We see answered prayers for a new job as a sign of God's power. And of course it is, and we should praise him for that. But this is saying to us, and it might well be in the redundancy that no one was praying for, that he's doing something even more remarkable. You might think of the maternity ward in a hospital as a good place to go if we want to see God's amazing power. And that's right, it is a great place. New life given by him. This says, don't miss what's happening on a deathbed too, in and around that place. Because it might well be that the Lord is working even more powerfully there. I hope that's an encouragement. It really ought to be, as in our different ways and to different degrees, we each go through suffering of all kinds, physically, emotionally, mentally. Things going on now, things we worry might be coming in the future. And as individually and as a church, we feel our weakness in different ways too. Very quickly as we finish, what are some practical differences this should make in our lives now? Well, first, we shouldn't be surprised by suffering and weakness. We can be sometimes, can't we? Where does this come from, we say, as if? The possibility of suffering must have been hidden away in the small print of becoming a Christian, perhaps. Well, don't be surprised, this says. It's the way God works in this world. Expect it. We can be embarrassed about it sometimes as well, can't we? I can't possibly let people know what's just happened to me. 
I mustn't let people see how close to the edge I feel right now. It would be discouraging for them and humiliating for me. Don't be embarrassed, this says. It's the normal Christian life. Very often we assume suffering and weakness are always signs that something's gone badly wrong. Maybe we're on the end of nasty opposition or someone we love, a child perhaps at school, is on the end of nasty opposition because of their faith. Has God lost control, we think? Has Satan somehow got the upper hand? Not at all. This is saying the Lord is in charge and working there too. And very often we lose any sense of hope in suffering and as we realise our weakness as well, don't we? So you think nothing good could possibly come through this. Best thing I can do is crawl to the edge of church life and wait for it to pass. And if it doesn't pass, I'm just going to stay hiding there. And the Lord is saying, actually, you might be right at the centre of something remarkable he's doing. Just wait and see what he'll do in you and through you too. As he helps ordinary people like you and me to see him and to want him and to trust him and to love him and to grow more like him as well. And so we come to those crazy sounding words in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 12. Let's just finish on them. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Words that, apart from Jesus, make no sense at all. But in him, really do. I'll be quiet, and then I'll lead us as we pray. Father in heaven, thank you for speaking to us this morning for what we've heard you say. Please help us where we find these words unsettling. And thank you where we find them comforting. Thank you for the way that you have worked so wonderfully and so powerfully through the Lord Jesus in all his suffering and weakness and shame. And as we follow in his footsteps, help us to trust that you are still at work in power through the same things today. And please, would that be an encouragement when we find these things in our lives and the lives of those we love? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you. His grace is 
sufficient. And as we depend on him in our weakness, as we find strength in him, we'll give him the glory. And that's the theme of our final song uh, today. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Let's stand. We'll sing. Until I stand with joy before the 
Thanks for being with us uh, this morning. Uh, do stay on if you can. As I said earlier, uh, we serve refreshments up here. Uh, yes, do stick around. Parents, do go and collect your children, but then come back. And, uh, and why not try to meet somebody you know uh, less well before turning to those you know very well? Uh, let me lead us in a prayer as we close. <clears throat> Words from the end of 1 Peter. And the God of all grace, <clears throat> who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen.